ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I think there is a sense that the nation can't shrug its shoulders and go, oh, well, let's let's all go off to breakfast on Sunday morning and that's done. Um, tie a bow around that. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Safe Liberal seats, two-term incumbents, independent. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at what has happened. Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia. Hello, welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis from RM Breakfast, joining you from Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne. And I'm Fran Kelly here on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation in Sydney. And PK, it's crunch time for the referendum on the voice to parliament. Less than 48 hours now until voting gets underway on the Saturday, that's referendum day. We're going to be joined soon in The Party Room by Bridget Brennan, who's the Indigenous Affairs Editor at the ABC and a Judge Awarung and Yorta Yorta woman. And Bridget's going to help us understand hopefully this final week of campaigning and take a look at what we're likely to see not just unfold on Saturday but of course what happens next that'll be the big question then but first in this final week of campaigning the voice was really overshadowed by global events when Palestinian Hamas militants stormed into Israel from Gaza on the weekend massacring civilians men women and children taking hostages it was such a brutal and bloody attack it left 1200 people dead in Israel and thousands injured it's been called Israel's 9-11 there is now what they describe as a complete siege of Gaza a blockade of all power water and medical supplies into the densely populated Palestinian strip. So as the bombs rain down, there are no supplies and help getting into Gaza right now. Thousands of people, most of them civilians, killed on both sides of the terror and there's more to come. The world watched on in horror and outrage and governments, including our own, condemned the Hamas atrocities, defended Israel's right to defend itself. But then here at home, tensions spilled out onto the streets, particularly in Sydney and also into the political debate. And PK, that's really become a bit of a distraction for from the events playing out overseas, hasn't it? Oh, has it ever. Look, the Albanese government quickly announced uh, it stood with Israel, supporting, as you say, the nation's right to defend itself. We are an ally with Israel. The Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, um, talked about their right to defend themselves, but she also urged restraint and the protection of civilians. And this became kind of briefly controversial. Um, and I say briefly because I spoke to, you know, a Jewish community leader, for instance, today, who who says he does feel supported by the Albanese government. But there was a, a, quite a lot um, in sort of every word that was spoken, which is often the case. There is a sizable Jewish community here in Australia, big diaspora community. They are obviously... Uh, stricken with grief, fury at the Hamas attacks, and how can you not be? Uh, and there's a sizable Palestinian population too, and they have suffered immensely over a long period of time. And and when the New South Wales government agreed to light up the sales of the Sydney Opera House in blue and white, that is, of course, the colour of the Israeli flag, that's where we, we saw what will be a long war and what we, we predict um, will be a very difficult war 
play out on our streets. Pro-Palestinian groups uh, felt there was a double standard uh, and they feel like they've suffered immensely, as I say, over years. They gathered for what was supposed to be a peaceful protest. But these protests, the protest to say infiltrated by a group intent on causing harm and chanting violent and anti-Semitic slogans. It was condemned by the New South Wales Premier, the Prime Minister. Uh, Everyone condemned it. You cannot not condemn it. But the opposition said it wasn't enough. Here's Peter Dutton. Now, I find it quite remarkable that the Prime Minister hasn't held a formal meeting of the National Security Committee to discuss these very important matters, uh, to discuss the domestic threat level, to look at ways in which they can de-escalate some of the scenes that we saw or prevent those gatherings from taking place in the first instance. And the Prime Minister should be giving assurances to the Jewish community that everything is being done to protect those places of worship, the synagogues, to protect the schools and uh, the other places uh, where people of Jewish faith might gather. Now, the Prime Minister went to a synagogue. He did address these issues. Um, That was obviously Peter Dutton. Uh, The Prime Minister... uh, addressed these concerns and dismissed them as politicking. Here he is. Oh, look, I, I just think people trying to play uh, politics with, with this issue, whether it's Peter Dutton or the Greens, is just inappropriate. We have seen the slaughter of hundreds of innocent civilians. Uh, we've seen atrocities committed. Uh, there are real issues here. And uh, people should be capable of rising above Uh, those issues and just dealing uh, with uh, the issues uh, before us in a human way. A human way. So that was the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Fran, what is the opposition strategy here? Because on foreign affairs, we try to have bipartisanship. Mm. I mean, I had James Stevens, who is the Liberal MP for Sturt, on the panel on Q&A on Monday night. We're talking about other issues. We talked about Israel. And I asked, because I could hear there was a bit of a difference. And and he said, you know, there's no politics in this stuff. But since, we've heard a lot of politics from the opposition leader. Yeah, we certainly have. I think there's been some overreach here by Peter Dutton. I mean, all I can think of is that this is the opposition leader trying to wedge Labor on national security. Really, that's all I can think of, because he was quick off the blocks to criticise Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong for some of their early statements where they urge restraint, as if restraint is not something that's useful at a time like this when there's been a a declaration of war, admittedly in response to horrific terrorist attacks. No one is denying that. You know, he's accused, as we heard him there, of the PM of squibbing it by not convening a National Security Committee of Cabinet. Now, Anthony Albanese says even if he did do that, that is not something a good government would broadcast. You know, this is not a matter for public concern. This is a matter for the government to get on and do the work of government. And in my view, you know, Peter Dutton went over the top when he publicly urged the security agencies to look at the footage of that Sydney protest. And if anyone there was on a temporary visa to consider expelling them, John Howard then weighed in, accusing the PM of pussyfooting around here. I just think this is really unhelpful, as we heard the Prime Minister say, at a time of such distress there is a war raging now in the Middle East and people are being killed in their thousands and and this is not helpful. I mean, the truth of the matter is Anthony Albanese is, of course, also working on the referendum to the voice to parliament. He was at Uluru this week too. Um, But he also, as you say, travelled to Melbourne. He's addressed a a Jewish community group there. He's been to uh, a synagogue. Let me read you some of the words he had to say to the Melbourne Jewish community. He said... 
I want to assure you that kind of hateful prejudice has no place in Australia. Our country is better than that. Our country is a better place because of you and your community and my government is committed to keeping your community safe. I want to say very clearly, you are not alone. You know, I'm not sure what more Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese actually can say. Or, or do right now. You know, Penny Wong was also addressing an Israel, Australia-Israel Chamber of Commerce dinner this week, and she made the point that the attacks by Hamas have put the two-state solution for Palestinians backwards by a long way. That hurts Palestinians. So they are out there. They are talking to the Jewish community. Uh, I just think it's politicking. Overreach is the perfect word for it that you used a little earlier. It is overreach. Um, there's clearly a lot of politics in what the opposition leader is saying, I think in fact it's almost too too blatant. <laughs> There's, I was, I thought it was rather odd. And as I say, Jewish community leaders saying they are happy with the prime minister's response. I do think it's worth noting that and the opposition would be very well aware of this, there's long time been a split within the ALP, within Labor itself, over these issues, the Israel-Palestinian issues, how to manage them, the language around them, hasn't there? Oh, and that's, that's you've just gone to it. What is happening here is that Peter Dutton, I believe, wants that to be the emphasis, wants that to break out because there is, I think, more unity and more of a sort of um, uh, one position on Israel probably in the coalition, to be fair, than than uh, in Labor. But I haven't seen any breakouts of people so far, as we're recording on a Thursday morning, sort of um, saying that Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself. But to find the differences is what the opposition leader is probably trying to do here. And I think it landed flat. PK, the other big news stories of the week, news story of the week, and it's a big one, was the return of detained Australian journalist Chung Lei to Australia. Such a relief. (laughs) She's been behind bars in China since August 2020, more than 1,100 days. She was accused of sharing state secrets overseas with an overseas media agency. That's the first time we've got that particular gem of detail, I think. The Australian government has been advocating strongly for her release in all meetings and negotiations with Chinese officials, including the Prime Minister, uh, with the Chinese leadership and Penny Wong every time that she met with them. The Prime Minister says uh, that Chiang Lei's return was a result of legal proceedings against her concluding, now that's China's line on this, that she served a sentence of two years, 11 months, which is the first time we'd heard of that sentence. You spoke to Chiang Lei's friend, former Ambassador to China, Jeff Raby, and he He's congratulated the Australian government for the way they've handled this. The Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister uh, need to be you know, congratulated for seeing this through. They have moved to stabilise the relationship from what it was before they were elected. But more than anything else, they have been clear that they took up this case at every opportunity when they met their counterparts. So I think it's been a, a great achievement for Australian diplomacy. That's uh, Jeff Raby. Well, Chung Lei's release has been met with bipartisan support, Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lee discrediting the government's efforts. But more broadly, broadly, it's a sign, I think, of further mending in Australia-China relations, isn't it? And it's no coincidence it comes ahead of the, the PM heading to China, to Beijing, to meet with Xi Jinping. You know, China clearly doesn't want this, this um, irritant, if you can reduce it to that, which is something much more significant, of course, but doesn't want this as part of the atmospherics of that meeting, don't you think? Yeah, look, we know the Prime Minister raised it in his meeting with the Premier. We we know that this has been high on the government's uh, agenda negotiating on this. And so this is wonderful news for her and her family. 
honestly, it is the best thing that's happened this week. Um, I was so relieved to hear about it. I have kids similar ages. I just was so relieved to hear that that, that, that woman who has been um, treated dreadfully is able to see her children again. I did fear for her deeply. So... The government's work here has to be recognised. The diplomatic work behind the scenes has been immense. This stuff doesn't just happen. Um, And so, yeah, I think it clears the way for Albanese absolutely to go to China. And I think the the further restoration of relationships, the, 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 you know, you can't, you won't fix this relationship. There are massive differences between our countries and there must be because we we do take objection to, we, we believe in the rules based order and we and we raise these issues but if we don't talk we're in bigger trouble aren't we and so I think this is a massively good sign and all, all just on an individual level such a relief yeah and of course we shouldn't forget that there's another Australian young Heng Jun who's been in prison in China since 2019 29- 2019, so that's even longer. He remains in prison and the government says it remains focused on that, pushing for his release as well, his return as well. And the Prime Minister said that they're separate cases, they have to be dealt with that way. I don't think the government will drop the ball on on this issue either and he's very sick, so yeah, that is of concern. Bridget Brennan is the ABC's Indigenous Affairs Editor, a Jaja Wurrung and Yorta Yorta woman and an all-rounder. Welcome to the party room, Bridget. Hi, Fran. Hi, PK. Yeah, Bridget, great to have you here. You're flat out crisscrossing the country with this referendum. Um, Bridget, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Over 3 million Australians have already cast their ballots in the pre-polls. Both sides are out in force to, you know, cast for every vote they can find. The Yes Camp now positioning this vote on The Voice as a moral choice. That was Those were the words of, of Noel Pearson this week. Uh, and insisting that despite the polls, the, this vote is still winnable. Noel Pearson is a leading Yes campaigner and he appears to be whispering to what we might call the quiet Yes voters. We really can do this. There's such exciting prospect ahead of us as a country and for Indigenous people when we do this. Uh, I think sensing a win for them, sensing that the polls have it for them, has switched from its hardline message of division and risk to focusing on looking forward and rebuilding the, the divisions and addressing the, the disadvantaged gaps. Here's leading no campaigner Warren Mundine. Whether it's uh, a yes or it's a no on Saturday, the, the, the real issue is that uh, on the 15th, uh, after the polls declared, we've all got to come back together and start doing the hard work because... Uh, one of the things that has come out of this polls is the Australian people, are they, they just want things done. So love is in the air and we've got to come back together. Bridget, uh, that's kind of kumbaya from both sides, but that's not how it's feeling on the ground, is mm, it? I can't see these two going to a meditation session together <laughs> after this or mediation rather. <laughs> Either, Either, meditation really. or mediation. Uh, look, let's face it, this has been pretty damaging for the country, for our democracy, some of the disinformation, the misinformation, the hurt, uh, the dredging up of old wounds, it has wrought a real toll on, obviously, on Indigenous Australians, but also I think non-Indigenous Australians. I think we're going to have a bit of whiplash after this debate on Sunday. Um, look, at the, the polls tend towards no. That If we wake up with that result on Sunday, I think there'll be a lot of questions over what happened, where do we go from here, how do we begin to heal these deep wounds. 
for Aboriginal people, they certainly want healing. I spent yesterday at an Aboriginal health clinic in Melbourne where I can tell you, PK and Fran, the distress is very real among people who are at the coalface of closing the gap. Um, there were health workers there in tears. And, and they weren't necessarily revealing whether they were yes or no voters. They were just looking on at the the size of this debate and the way that it has gone in our community and the way that it has really torn a lot of families apart as well. So I think there's going to be a responsibility from all involved to start to look at what is the path forward after this. But it, it, if, if it's a yes, it will be just elation from the yes campaign for, you know, coming out when they were all written off. If it's a no, what's plan B, Bridget? It's a good question, PK, and we need a plan B. I mean, the Yes campaign has said no is more of the status quo and things continue on as they are. I don't think the vast majority of First Nations people accept that. I think even if it is a yes or a no, even if there is a voice to parliament established, I don't think there's a sense in the Indigenous community that that is our one piece of... That's the Holy Grail. That's the Holy Grail. I mean, there's obviously a predominant view in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs that it could be very helpful, but there are so many things needed. So I think... We can't just shrug our shoulders and go, well, that's done. That six-week campaign is done and that 20-year battle and debate over constitutional recognition is done. Uh, I keep coming back when I talk to people on the ground about these local solutions, about what people are doing on the ground, about the difficulty they get in trying to be heard from state governments, from decision makers. So something needs to change. We saw those shocking uh, youth suicide figures this week um, among Indigenous children. I mean, that alone is just a wake-up call for the nation of what we have to, with the, the size of the problem that we have in this in this country. Yeah, it's so big. Look, I just want to go to the project which has been now so long of reconciliation, right? And we've been speaking about this word, word reconciliation for so long. Mostly what a no vote means for reconciliation going forward is being discussed here. And the father of reconciliation, Pat Dodson, gave a very significant press club address where he asked uh, about what a no vote would mean for reconciliation. He said it would look like it does now. Here he is. No is not neutral. No is a denial of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. No is a denial to going forward on how we were going to improve things through a voice interacting with the parliament and with the executive. No is not neutral. Um, and that's a pretty strong line. Senator Pat Dodson um, says uh, you can't live in your own country and not be recognised. Uh, no campaigner Warren Mundine has flatly rejected that idea that, that reconciliation can't be progressed if no succeeds. But let's be honest here, it's dead in constitutional a sense, isn't it? Though mm. I mean, I can't, I can't see it happening for a very long time in the constitution. Mm. I think that's right. I think is the, the the question for me is this: as I said, this twenty year debate we've had about constitutional recognition, whether getting Australians to tinker with or change or add something to our constitution could really address the fundamental question of why we still haven't come to grips with our history, why we have such gulfs in the living standards between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, why our elders are dying way too young. And I think, is this the final chapter? Will that will this close the book on on constitutional recognition? Will this be the, the final words in, in, in that 
you know, long debate about oh, seven prime ministers, I think, Fran and PK have been debating this. That's right. Back to John Howard. Um, it, you know, even John Howard was supporting some kind of constitutional recognition that's been rejected once at a uh, at a referendum and Indigenous Australians rejected the notion on its own again this time. That's where we've landed mm. with constitutional recognition with the voice. And I think you're right. There can't... There, it almost certainly will not be another referendum on this for a long time, which means no constitutional recognition. But this can't be the story of our nation. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a number of, of yes campaigners in the last few days, and I'm sure you've spoken to many more than I have. But some of them say that that if this goes down, in these are their words, reconciliation is dead in this country because Indigenous Australians, or they will see it as a rejection of them. I think there is that view, but of course there are very nuanced, complex views within the Aboriginal community about this. I mean, again, I'll come back and to this. And it's not what Patrick Dodson was saying, for No, instance. no, no. But I'll come back to this, this health centre I, I went to yesterday. Now, this is an, uh, an urban, very busy Aboriginal health centre that deals with a lot of chronic disease, but it's also trying to lift up the wellbeing of Indigenous people in Melbourne. And it has Indigenous and non-Indigenous people working there. They're supportive of yes. Um, they acknowledge that a lot of their patients have different views on this. But what they said to me was that non-Indigenous staff had written the most emotional, eloquent letter to them, to Aboriginal staff within that clinic to say, we're going to keep working for yes. And what yes means to them is working on the ground lifting up people, working with stolen generation survivors, working with mums and bubs who, you know, for a lot of reasons are having a very difficult time. One in three of their families has a child in out-of-home care. So they have to come to work on Monday and keep going. Now, is that reconciliation in action? I would say it is. And mm. I don't think that work goes away. Um, notwithstanding, this will be a blow to a lot of Aboriginal people, but people still have to get up on Sunday morning and Monday morning and continue the work that they've been doing. Yeah. And as Pat Dodson said, First Nations people aren't going anywhere. I mean, it's their mm. country. So No, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going. Not well, going. Yeah, but let's not not look, leaving. Well, let's look what happens after the 15th. I mean, we've heard Warren Mundine talking about what happens after the on the on after the Sunday, after the vote. The opposition and the broader no camp are positioning themselves as ready to heal the divide. Uh, we heard the same language from Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce. It's all about practical local solutions and calling, you know, Senator Price, Nampajimpa Price, it's calling for an audit of government spending, Indigenous programs, and now there's pushing that the voice should be legislated. So it's mm. sort of come full circle almost. We've got Lydia Lydia Thorpe now, mm. Senator Thorpe, suggesting legislated voice, Barnaby Joyce and others. What is, do you think is behind that approach? Is that just a political exercise to be seen to be positive or is it a denial of the fact that there is stuff going on now and this notion that we need to audit because money's being wasted, is that just some kind of cover for, for not having a plan of what more to do? Because, yes, things are going on, call it reconciliation, but, but the gaps are still entrenched. Mm. Mm. I think there is a sense that the nation can't shrug its shoulders and go, oh, well, let's let's all go off to breakfast on Sunday morning and that's done. Um, tie a bow around that. I don't think, I think Australians in the main voting yes and no, uh, from what I've heard from researchers who've spoken to a, a huge array of voters, is that they accept that something's not working. And so I think the parliament understands that now. And we've, we've seen Indigenous affairs in the spotlight in a way that we've never ever seen it before, probably not since the 90s 
really. Uh, and so I think there is a lot of pressure on our politicians across this, the political spectrum. And yeah, it is really interesting hearing Senator Price and Ser- Senator Karen Little um, have, you know, sometimes be saying quite quite the same things, but be often diametrically opposed on the political spectrum. So there, there are there's going to be a big debate, I think, within our political system and within, within our parliament about not so much a consolation prize, but what next? We can't just go, oh, well, that's done and we'll keep um, keep going with the closing the gap. No, as the PM said, it's put, <laughs> the, dis- it. it's put the disadvantaged on the front page. Well, I mean, maybe that's what we've got, the closing the gap process and the Productivity Commission, you know, signalled that's in complete disarray. Maybe that's where the focus needs to be. Governments coming together, as Patrick Dodson would, has said, mm. and working out how to do it much better. Mm. And there has closing the gap has been obviously the centrepiece bipartisan policy for more than a decade. It's been the key process, but you can hear, you know, a conga line of prime ministers stepping up to say a lot of those targets haven't been met every year. So I think in the Aboriginal community, there's a sense that closing the gap is one thing, but what else, you know, what else can Mm. we do to acknowledge not just the disadvantage, but our rights as Indigenous people in this country? Your status Um, as Indigenous Australians. You know, I spoke to this elder yesterday in Melbourne and she said to me, she hadn't voted yet because she was still making up her mind. And she said, you know, all these new words, recognition, reconciliation, and then she just paused and she said, what happened to land rights? (laughs) And I just thought that was so interesting that this has been a debate about recognition and disadvantage and but when you go and talk to our people, they talk about our inherent rights. Um, they talk about getting back on country and ownership and, um, you know, really lifting up people's standards living on country or, or off country and actually connecting with culture. There's all those elements as well that we need to address. And if we just have a deficit and disadvantage landscape lens on it, we'll be back here so in 10 years. So that comes to truth-telling and treaty effectively, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it does. And look at look at the work that's being done in treaty. Now, in some states, it's very slow. We haven't really had an update in a lot of states about where treaty's at. In Victoria, they are quietly working away at the First People's Assembly in Victoria. I think in 2024, we're going to see a lot more detail on the table about what those negotiations between First Peoples and the state are going to look like. Uh, and that will be interesting because it's much... I think from what I can hear, it's going to be much more ambitious than what a voice would have looked like. Um, So those negotiations are going to be really interesting. And there has obviously been a scare campaign about treaty and there could be a national treaty if a voice gets up well. There are treaties underway and we're going to be seeing the detail of that very shortly. It'll be interesting to see what the Prime Minister has to say, uh, whichever way the vote goes on on the night. I think that's uh, there's a lot of pressure on him to come up with the right tone and the right answers and the right path forward, but on all our political leaders too, to get the tone of this right. Bridget, you're going to be broadcasting on on the night, so we'll all be watching. Those of those of us who aren't listening to the radio broadcast. <laughs> or we might be listening. We, might, we or, may be listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, so good luck with that. And it'll, it's an it's an important night and we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a moment for our nation really to look ourselves in the mirror, isn't it? It is. As, as Senator Dodson said yesterday. Hey, Bridget, always love your work. Speak to you very soon. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, PK. Thanks, Bridget. We'll move to questions without notice. We'll give the call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My well, the bells are ringing, which means it's time for question time, and this week's question comes from Sean. Hello, party room. I've noticed that the PM and leaders for the Yes campaign are surprisingly pessimistic for the future should the referendum result in a no. They frame this as the final chance. If there is a negative outcome, can't the government legislate positive change regardless? 
Does the government need the referendum as the mandate for change? Good question, Sean. It's been asked a lot in the last week. The PK, the PM has ruled out legislation. What do you think? Look, I think... I understand absolutely why he's ruled it out um, legislation for a voice when the entire campaign has been about a voice and if there's a no vote, it would seem odd to go, okay, we respect your judgment, electorate. Now we're going to go off and make this legislation. A little weird, right? bit tone deaf. But the broader question about why can't the government get on and do things, of course it can. Of course a government can get on and do lots of good things while listening to grassroots Indigenous organisations to try and deliver for Aboriginal people. The issue will be that we don't know how long a government of goodwill will last. Governments change. Governments have different persuasions. Different leaders within one flavour of government can be different. And so it's about the consistency that The Voice was meant to be about if it does indeed go down. So can Albanese go on and do good things to to make Indigenous Australians, well, not only have better lives, but to, to restore what I think will be many broken hearts? Of course. Um, there are and there should always be, uh, this is a, just a broader sort of me and my views on humanity, we should always seek to do what we can, always. Any government that reneges its responsibility is a failed government. So absolutely there are many other options they will need to pursue and I thought this was brilliantly articulated by Pat Dodson, the father of reconciliation that addressed the National Press Club this week from Broome. He's been ill. We haven't heard a lot from him, but he he talked about the implications of a no vote and saying that there would be have to be new methodologies, new ways of engaging with Indigenous Australia because Indigenous people, as he said brilliantly, aren't going anywhere. It is their country. <laughs> they are first Australians. They are here and they should be here. They should not only be here, but they should flourish in this country. And so, of course, any decent government will have to find other ways. I think if you haven't haven't seen the um, Patrick Dodson speech at the National Press Club, I urge everyone to have a look at it. You can find it on YouTube and on iview. It's really, as, as always, comes from him. Uh, powerful, powerful words, I think, and and hopeful words too, despite his disappointment clearly at what he th- thinks the polls are suggesting. Um, but just on that point of legislation, it is noticeable that after the Prime Minister ruled it out under the sort of argument that the country's just voted against it, why would I then go against the, the, the desire of the country, so to speak? It is interesting that some coalition MPs and I noticed Lydia Thorpe speaking to you on RM Breakfast, PK, have all come out and supported a legislated voice and accused the Prime Minister of basically spitting the dummy and I think the one quote was throwing his toys out of the cot. So I, I'm not sure how this will play out if, if Peter Dutton will come back with a proposal for the voice and and try and sort of, you know, coax or challenge the PM to support it. But um, it's it's possible if Indigenous Australians, if some element of Indigenous Australia changes its view on this and urges the Prime Minister to go ahead with that, uh, it, you know, it's not beyond possible it could happen. But at this time, the government says, no, they wouldn't do that because they will listen to the will of the people. It's pretty strange to go to a, a referendum if you get a no vote and then sort of not listen. I mean, it would be a strange thing for him to say right now. Can you imagine if he'd said the opposite? Just imagine the opposite. We'd be like, what? 
All right. That's it from us. Send your questions in. We love getting them. We're especially fond of voice notes, as we heard from Sean there. You can email them to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. That's right. And you can follow The Party Room on the ABC Listen app so you never miss an episode. That's it from us, PK. We'll be back in your feeds next week, everybody, with a special post-referendum episode of The Party Room. That'll drop into your feeds on Monday. Yeah, we'll be joined by the ABC's Dana Morse to update us on the results because you're listening to this Thursday morning we are recording. You may have results uh, by the time you listen. So we'll give you a new one with the actual outcome. See you, friend. See you Monday, PK.